0: Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our series in Acts. Today, I would like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18 and 19. We're going to pivot around the term half baked. That has become a really, really popular term, and I know that it's it's a popular term uh, for people who have experimented with drugs as well, but that's not where we're going this morning. So relax about that. But we use it either literally or figuratively. Those of you that uh, spend time in the kitchen, you know what it literally means. Uh, means. I will not eat half-baked chicken. Uh, I will get sick. Uh, poultry needs to be cooked all the way. But I've also seen my wife uh, put a toothpick into a cupcake to see if it's baked. And if the dough sticks to the, the the toothpick, then she knows, oh, it's not fully baked. But uh, we use that term figuratively to talk about leaders sometime that we think they, they ought to think through their ideas a little bit more clearly. We maybe have used that about teachers that we didn't enjoy in school, and uh, we... We think that people ought to go back in the oven just a little bit longer and think through what they're saying and what they're doing. Well, as I came to this passage, what I found was that there are three stories about half-baked people or ideas or belief systems. I haven't a clue as to why Luke, uh, other than the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, decided to include these three stories in a row, like cars piling up on the freeway, they're all three stories about people who were not complete, either in their message, in their belief system, or in their faith as, as, as spiritual people. They were not complete, and each one of them has to discover a lesson. And I think there's a lesson here for you and I, The question is, are you baked fully? And usually everybody says, yeah, I'm amazing. But uh, let's take a moment to look at ourselves through the passage of Scripture. Holy Spirit, we do pray that you would speak to us. God, that you would use the Scriptures to enlighten our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, many leaders are born to be leaders, right? Right? You see them in kindergarten. They're already leading kids in the playground, telling them what to do and so forth and so on. The question would be, do they have a fully baked message? And oftentimes, they don't. They're just going to lead. And they're going to lead people sometimes right off the cliff until their message is completely baked. And we have a leader in that case in scripture named Apollos. After spending some time, I'm going to be starting in Acts 18, verse 23. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila, remember I told you, the order of the names two weeks ago how when they're introduced it's aquila and priscilla and the rest of the time in scripture it's priscilla and aquila then the girl's name before the boy's name which two thousand years ago highly highly unusual except to say that she was the more dominant of the two in her personality in her leadership skills Oftentimes you find that in couples, and we men are very apprehensive to ever admit that you know, the woman actually is amazing, but uh, you know, in my case, my wife is amazing. And so it's okay to have Priscilla proceed Aquila. Was that a hand clap? <clears throat> <laughs> I think that was for you, Jan. So meanwhile, um, Let's pick it up here. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home. This was an important home ministry night. And explained to him, that is Apollos, the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him, that is over to Corinth, to the disciples there in, and to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, and he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was Hamashiach, the Messiah. Jews, proving to Jews that Jesus, who was Jewish, was the Messiah. So who is this Apollos that just suddenly appears in Scripture? If you look on the map, you'll see where Paul is and where Apollos came from. So Paul is now on his third missionary journey, and he's starting over here in Antioch, which would be right on the border of Syria and Lebanon, travels up into southern Turkey, which was not Turkey at the time right through the heart of it, over to this huge metropolis called Ephesus, one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire, very significant city for the gospel to go to. If you look down here, the very tip of Africa, you can see where Alexandria, it's not posted, but just trust me, it's under the D of Mediterranean, all the way down on the floor. That's where Alexandria is, was. And Alexandria was the most uh, populated intellectual hub in the entire Roman Empire. Uh, It's hard for you to imagine uh, how things were inverted in in those times. Uh, St. Augustus came from northern Africa. I mean, just the population there and the development and everything that was just focused uh, in the northern part of Africa. It was where Rome and its influence was reigning. And so Apollos was this man who came from the intellectual center of the world. Many people believe that he wrote the epistle to the Hebrews because uh, even though some people would think Paul wrote it, the, the Greek is so different in the epistle to the Hebrews than all the other Pauline epistles that they think that even though uh, some of the ideas are similar to Paul's, the, the the fine writing of the book of Hebrews had to have been written by someone else other than Paul. Paul, if you read his writings, even though he was... Trained as a rabbi, he gets really excited. When he gets excited, he has a run-on sentence that goes on an entire chapter. (laughs) Kind of like I talk. Just... (laughs) But Hebrews is this finesse book that's well thought out and paced and so forth. So Martin Luther started the tradition that maybe Apollos wrote that book. We don't know who did write the book of Hebrews. That's who Apollos is. What I love about Apollos is that he has so many things going for him. He is, on the one hand, he's schooled as a Jewish rabbi. He knows the scriptures thoroughly. Would to God that we were seeing people, no matter what they do, if they're a plumber, electrician, uh, uh, carpenter, engineer, that, that we as Christians were really good at our craft, I think it's really important, if you're a barista, that you make a good cup of coffee, if you're a believer. That that what we do, we do well. So that was Apollos. He had honed his craft. I like the fact that he was passionate. It says in this passage, he, with fervor, he presented things. It's not easy to... Uh, listen to someone who's not passionate about what they believe. And so he was passionate. I like the fact that he was schooled in, in Roman culture, not just Jewish culture. He kind of could bat right handed and left handed. He was fully Jewish and understood the Torah and the scriptures in the Jewish way, but he was fully schooled in the Gentile Greek world and he could communicate in that way. Oftentimes, people in the church can be so churchy that we don't realize we're speaking Christianese. And and uh, we have not adapted our language into secular society and mainstream. Uh, but we, we need to be in the world, but not of it. So, so many things going for Apollos, yea, verily, yet he was half-baked in his message. We find that back in verse at the end of verse 27, where it says, though, which is an adversative here, meaning but, he only knew the baptism of John. So he knew so much. He knew uh, that John the Baptist came, that John the Baptist foretold the coming of the Messiah, that John the Baptist talked about a baptism of repentance, and he even knew that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who followed John the Baptist and dot 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 we don't know the rest of the story hello you only know christmas but you don't know easter you only know that god sent his son but you don't know how the story ends guess what that would be me i grew up not knowing the rest of the story The times that I did go to church, I went to church at a church that taught me that you should love your fellow man and you should care about the oppressed, which I did and I still do. And that's what we should do as a Christian. But I didn't know the rest of the story. Do you want to know the rest of the story? The rest of the story is, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that if you and I believe we could be forgiven and have everlasting life. And then Jesus got up. That's Easter. He got up from the dead, proving everything that he said was true. That was the part Apollos didn't know. So can you imagine? He's so passionate about the scriptures and he knows everything. And then finally, this couple named Priscilla and Aquila say... Hey, little buddy, we really like you. (laughs) Can you come over for dinner? We're having a potluck. And we want to tell you, in Paul Harvey's terms, the rest of the story. We're going to tell you how it ends. And that night, Apollos discovers the crucifixion and the resurrection. He discovers Psalm 22. They pierced him. They parted his garments. He discovers Psalm, excuse me, Isaiah 53. The lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And it all clicks. He is a ready-made preacher of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I like about Apollos. It could have gone differently. You know leaders Do leaders like to be corrected? Isn't that interesting, leaders here? The answer I just heard was no. That's a sad statement about leaders. We leaders like to be right. We leaders like to think we are fully baked. We leaders don't like people to say, by the way, Pastor Mark, this is what you should have said. We like to think we have it all together. But here's what I like about Apollos. He's teachable. He's humble. He's, he's concerned that he get the message right, not that he be right. Oh, my lands, do I not like darn right people. Oh, be they Christians or salesmen or anything else, that they're just right to be right, to be right, to be right. I just back away. But I love leaders that are teachable. And want to be sure that they're getting the message right. And this is Apollos. So he finally he got the message right. And he becomes a fully baked leader. A message. Now we can talk about being fully baked in a different way. Uh, and that would be character. Uh, and I think we're always growing in our character, right? But I'm talking about our message being baked. And Apollos' message becomes a full message great example for you and I. Here's a question. Do you have the full message in your life here this morning? It's a great thought. Do I understand that Christ loves me? Do I yield to that great truth that he loves me? There's a great story in the Old Testament. It's about a guy named Ahimaes, a very unusual name. But uh, there's a battle going on, and the battle is between David's troops and Absalom's troops. And if you know the story, Absalom was one of David's sons. And, and he was a, Absalom was a politician, very polished, wanted everybody to love him as opposed to his dad, and he started a civil war against his own father. But David loved Absalom so much that he didn't want David, Absalom to be harmed in any way and the troops of david's troops are fighting absalom's troops and 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 finally david's troops win but david is not in the battlefield so he doesn't know what's happened so his commander joab says i need to send a message to david about what's happened in the battlefield and Ahimaaz speaks up he says i want to go i want to go i I, want to be the guy who carries the message and Joab says, no, this is not your time. I'm looking for someone faster. And he picks someone from Cush, which would probably be Sudan, who was just going to run faster and uh, get the message to him quicker. And, uh, and Ahimehi says, but I want to run. And Joab says, but you don't have the message. And He says, I want to run anyway. I just want to run. And so finally, Joab says, so already ready, just run. And so he runs, and he knows a shortcut. And so he arrives first to David before the Cushite. And David says, so tell me, what's happened? And he says, well, there was a lot of fighting. And, and David says, yeah, yeah. And he says, and, and, and I saw people uh, you know, being hurt and dying and winning and losing on either side. And David says, yeah, 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 what? And then he says, and, and, and I think your team was winning, David. And David says, and? And he says, and, that's all I know. And David says, step aside. (laughs) There's someone else coming. We'll see what the Cushite has to say. And the Cushite says, yeah, the same thing only, and David, your troops won. And then David asks the question, and what about my son, Absalom? And he says, he's dead. He was defeated in battle. David needed the full message of God. Otherwise, it's step aside. And it needs to be clear in all of us that the, of all the things that we believe, we believe in loving people, we believe in helping people, we believe in justice, we believe in... Uh, protecting the planet we believe in helping the poor we believe in all of these things but at the core of why we believe that is because we believe in a god who so loved this world that he put himself on the line and he died for our sins and your sins to get the heart of the matter the heart of the matter what's the problem with the world according to gk chesterton is me it's not, that well, if we could just get the blue people who vote to vote this way. If we could just get the red people to vote this way. That, the, the problem with the world is them. That's an easy discussion to have. Much more difficult to say, the problem with the world is me. That I'm broken. That I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. And so Apollos accepts the full message. The second thing that happens here, the second story, is a hack, what I would call a half-baked belief. It tells us in chapter 19, verse one, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. You should put that in quotation marks because we'll find out he doesn't really know what kind of disciples at this point. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there was, is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus, On hearing this, they were baptized again to adult baptisms because now they understood more fully what it was about in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing pers- persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. Remember, that was the early designation for Christians. They were called first the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyranus. So for two years he lectured in this hall in Ephesus and you can go to that site today. Ephesus is one of the best uh, kept archeological sites in the world. Uh, Much of the city, you can walk through the streets and so forth. This went on for two years so that all of the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So an unusual dialogue, Paul sees that something's lacking in these, quote, disciples. They're, they're, they seem to know, like Apollos knew about the baptism of John, and, but there's something unusual about them. And so, for whatever reason, whether it was something in their life, whether it was something that they said, something caused Paul to ask them, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Now, let me pause there, because some of us come from different backgrounds. I happen to come from both of those backgrounds, so I'm on all of your teams uh, but one of the backgrounds would be that there's a, a two-stage Christianity, that you accept Christ, and then later on, you get empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I'm good with that. That, that, that was what I was introduced to when I accepted Christ and, and was persuaded about for a number of years. Um, however, others of you would say, no, when you accept Christ, you get the whole package. You get the Holy Spirit, everything else. And, and, and it's one stage, and the other would say two stage. And uh, here's what I would say about all of that. I would say, uh, it, to me, I really don't care. <laughs> because I would want to ask, what is the Holy Spirit doing in your life today? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit today? Because that's really where the rubber meets the road. I can't go back what happened when you accepted Christ. I can't go back there. And if you want to go back there and check the box, say, I'm amazing, this is what happened, that's great. But I still want to know, are you filled with the Holy Spirit today? Are you yielding to God's work in your life today? Or are you living in the past? Now, the problem that is created by both views, both have a problem. The first view, the two-stage, often in some people's minds, creates a better kind of Christianity. That is, when you have my experience, you could be amazing as a Christian. You would be empowered and have these particular gifts, like I do, and then you would be amazing. But I understand why you're just the way you are. And, and, and what Christian historians would call that is Gnosticism where you, by your knowledge or your experience, are better than somebody else. The problem with the second view is oftentimes a disallowance of experience. That I intellectually accept everything, but I experience nothing. And what I would want to say is we have to believe in our minds, but we have to experience in our lives however God wants to work in our lives. So I would say, Where I believe is that we all have the Holy Spirit. We all, the moment we accept Christ, the Spirit enters our life. We are empowered. And yet, there will be not just second experiences, but there will be third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh moments of surrender where you and I are filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit and I need to be available uh, for God's gifts, whatever he wants to give me in my life. Now, I personally, I happen to speak in tongues, and I thank God that I can use that in my own private prayer life. But I would never say that it is the signature gift or uh, the only gift that is the, the sign and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I have met people that are far more filled with a spirit than I, who have none of the gifts that I have. And uh, the point is, am I living surrendered to Jesus today? And if you are, then like a hand in a glove and the hand going all the way through the fingers, I am filled with the Holy Spirit as I surrender to him. And that is a daily decision. Many times I am not filled with the Spirit. I am filled with myself. And anyone else confess? They say, wow, you're, you're full of yourself, aren't you? Uh, I don't want to be that person. And those would be times where technically, theologically, I have the Holy Spirit, but my, the Holy Spirit is not fully in my life. The, the fingers flap around <laughs> uh, because it's a point of surrendering. So I, I'm simply saying we have to be careful that we not make this passage a divisive passage in, in the body of Jesus Christ, but a passage that brings us all together. One correction that created some of this view uh, is the king james version translated this did you be, did you receive the holy spirit since you believed and that since created all kinds of controversy because it's the wrong translation it's actually the word when and paul is assuming they're believers and discovers that they're actually not when i baptize people i baptize them in the Father in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When these were baptized, they were baptized in the name of John uh, for repentance. So Paul rebaptizes them and they receive the Holy Spirit, and they now are fully baked people. So they're baked because they believe, in the full package what not what they do but what jesus has done for them and they like apollos have the light bulb go on and say whoa it's true god did it for me let me see if i can date some of the people here uh when i say the word matrix what comes to your mind Actually, most of you think of a movie. Um, Most of you do not think about what the movie is about. You don't think of Facebook and Google and uh, the Internet at all. You think of a movie. Right, just saying that to stir you up a little bit. But there's a point in the movie where you'll remember this. The protagonist has to choose between the red pill in the blue pill do you remember now and the blue pill is designated quote you take the blue pill the story ends you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe and i'm telling you most of the people in our culture are taking the blue pill it's true In our culture, this is what we believe. And this seeps into the church. We believe that as long as you're sincere in what you believe, you can believe whatever you want to believe, and it's all true. Hello? What part of the world is like that? Can you call your boss on Monday morning and say, in my heart, I was at work even though I didn't come in? (laughs) Can you go hiking and say, you know wherever north is in your heart, that is north. Can you call your wife and say, in my heart, I came home last night. (laughs) Nothing in life is that way, but because God is invisible, we say, you know, whatever you want to believe is just, it's all north. It's all true. But I'm telling you, what you believe is important. It is important to be fully baked in what we believe. And these disciples, just like me, been around religion, have a, a, a fisher cut bait moment where they have to decide blue pill, red pill. Let me read to you what the red pill says. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole Goes, and you know, the protagonist takes the red pill, and it launches him into an awareness of what life truly is. And when you and I decide to follow Jesus Christ, I'm telling you number one, to have the shame and the guilt of sin fall off your back, and to be forgiven and to be right with God. But then, number two, To see how God impacts your marriage, impacts your business ethics, impacts how you are with your neighbors. It impacts all of life. And some of the things you already want to do but you haven't been able to do, God, by his spirit, begins to give you power to do that very thing. Half-baked, fully baked. The final story is about half-baked results. What you end up believing ends up having good results or half-baked results. I was talking to a wakeboarder recently, and, and he was from the Midwest. I won't pick on the state that he came from, but when it came to learning to surf, he said to me, you know, I think I'm gonna be good. I'm used to the water I'm used to balancing on a board, and I think surfing will, become easy, will come easy to me. And so he paddled out, and he had a very frustrating day. <laughs> because he knew nothing about waves. Knew nothing about a south swell, north swell, high tide, low tide, wind wave, ground swell, and he knew nothing about the lineup. And he came in like a defeated tigger who had lost his bounce because he went out, I'm amazing, and he came in somewhat defeated. He had half-baked results because he actually didn't know fully what he was doing. He's fine now. So in this story, we have some pretty dicey things introduced here. And uh, normally I wouldn't just read these right here in a Sunday morning service, but like we always do, we just read right through the word of God. So it tells us in verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Like the first time you read this passage, you think, what? What the what? What is going on here? You know, that an apron or a napkin touches Paul and they take it to somebody else and, and the people are healed. Uh, you know, when I grew up, I saw some televangelists do that kind of stuff on, on the TV. And I just thought, whoa, that's pretty crazy. But I also noticed they said, if you send me a hundred bucks, I'll send you my napkin, and uh, I prayed over it, and uh, you know, it'll also make you wealthy like I'm wealthy. And I just I I see through that scam a mile away. Paul never; scriptures never say that he continued this ministry. It's it's noted by the physician who's an academician who's writing this book, saying this was an aberrant moment where the Holy Spirit came on Paul in such a way, it was such a high tide of revival that this is how powerful it was, extraordinary power of God. And then that sets the stage for now what follows. What follows is some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, and apparently what you and I would call exorcists, Uh, And they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. At first glance, you think, oh, that would be great. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish priest, chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. This is through the, the, the man who was possessed. Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on the seven of them and overpowered them all and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Again. What the what? Uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> So, again, it's talking about a world that our world largely doesn't believe in anymore. Ever since the Enlightenment, the Enlightenment taught us two things. The only thing that's real is science and what you can talk about reasonably. Anything beyond what I can reasonably think about doesn't exist. And all that did was make us ignorant about the, the preternatural, supernatural world. Didn't make it go away. And the Bible would say that there are things like angels, that there are things like dark spirits, and we as Christians should never be fearful of anything because of God in our life, but nevertheless, we are not the only thing, and we are not the center of the universe. Uh, there, there's a big world out there. That we should be aware of with power. And so these people go out and they try, here's a big take home they try to use the name of Jesus without knowing Jesus. Do you follow me? The power that you and I have is not in the name of Jesus without knowing Jesus. There's a word for that, that's called magic. Where you think you can say hocus pocus and something has to happen, that's white magic or black magic, you think you say the word abracadabra and the door has to open. That is not what we believe as fully baked followers of Jesus. What we believe is it's the relationship and that's when we use the word in the name of Jesus, we are using the name in the name of the person that I have believed on and give, have given my life to Jesus. Boom, you are connected with the power that's behind the name of Jesus. So they use the name of Jesus without believing in Jesus or giving their lives to Jesus. Does that make sense? Not that you would ever do this, but someone might. Suppose someone doesn't believe in Jesus, or maybe they did, but they kind of took their life back and they've been walking and living their life their own way, and they decide to pray in the name of Jesus. Well, you and I would say, well, it's good that you want to pray that way, but you really kind of need to give him your life. He's not, he's not a rabbit foot. He, you don't stroke the lamp and tell the genie what to do that's magic. Christianity is relationship, not magic. So there were some disastrous results in this regard because they didn't believe and they didn't want to give their life to Jesus. They wanted to just use Jesus' name. And they ended up getting beaten. Now, the story ends with some remarkable things that end up happening in Ephesus. Verse 17, when this came to be known to both Jews and Greeks, both cultures in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and they held the name of the Lord Jesus in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. And a number who had practiced sorcery brought their dark magic scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to about 50,000 drachma. So it's saying they really, really were converted because they're burning things they could have sold and gotten money for. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So even though there are uh, surprising Verses in Scripture, the end result is the gospel advances, even with this crazy stuff. Listen, folks, faith in Jesus alone, in his cross, sacrificed for you, in his resurrection, rose again from the dead, his power, that is what forgives you and changes your life, and that's what a fully baked message is. And that's what I believe that's what changes your life and my life and all three of these stories point to their this very fact I'm the first to tell you that I am uh, I'm a person who has a half-baked story when I was 18 I only knew that we were called to love our fellow man I, was, I still am a believer in the civil rights movement in, according to its origin, uh, that all races are created equal, and I'm passionate about that, and I'll stand for that, but I didn't know anything else until one day someone shared with me the gospel. I was 18, and I'd heard that a former girlfriend had moved back into town and I went to visit her in Costa Mesa. Drove in my VW bus from Santa Ana uh, to Costa Mesa to say hello. And she began telling me a story where she had run away from to San Francisco. Sorry, this dates me. And um, she had been converted by a street preacher on the corner of Haight and Ashbury. And when she got to the subject of Jesus, I began to shake. I was sitting in the living room of her parents uh, on their orange shag carpet. (laughs) Sitting Indian style uh, with uh, my paisley bell bottoms uh, crossed. and, uh, And she got to the part about Jesus And I could feel myself inwardly begin to shake. And I reached my hands into the long shag carpet to hold on. And she looked at me in the eyes, and she says, Mark, I have a question. Are you a Christian? And I knew I wasn't. I knew I wasn't fully baked. I knew everything she was saying was true, and I just thought, what's my, what's my answer? No one has ever asked me that question. And I thought to myself, well, I'm kind of religious sometimes, and I, and I love my mother, and, and I love my country, and I love apple pie, and so as I held onto the, the shag carpet, I said, yes, I believe I am. And she said, uh-uh. If you were, you'd know it. Bam! It was like a stake went right through me. And I said, I gotta go. (laughs) And I just ran out the door, got in my VW bus, and drove away. And for six months, I was miserable. Every night, I'd go to bed and I'd hear the words, Mark, are you a Christian? Mark, are you a Christian? And it's the question, are you baked? Do you understand the gospel? Not are you good enough, not are you trying hard enough, but do you believe what Christ has done for you? But I knew if I surrendered, I was surrendering the lordship of my life to Jesus. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be the self-made man who did it my way and most of you know the rest of the story that 6 months later 2 a.m. in the morning the hand of heaven caught up with me and i surrendered to his love and that's all i did just okay okay i believe you love me Whoever you are, I give up. And I found out that it was Jesus who died for me, who rose again from the dead, wanted to give me his Holy Spirit that I might live a new life. And I invite all of us here this morning to become fully baked, not fully better, Your character changing takes a while, takes a lifetime. But to fully believe the full message of Jesus Christ, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning that you are God and we are not. And all the beliefs we have floating around and things we've said about you doesn't change who you are. And we tell you this morning that we believe that you came because you love this world, this planet and that you came to solve the heart of the matter which is to change humans from the inside out that you actually died for our sins for our brokenness and that you rose again from the dead and we come today to surrender to that full message. So this morning while we're praying and while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, do you want to surrender to Jesus? This is your moment. Some of you, you've never done it before. This is your moment. But others... You've kind of been living a sham. Almost the magic name of Jesus. One time you surrendered, but you've taken the lordship of your life back. And Jesus is calling all of us today to surrender to his love. And so if that's you this morning, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed... I'm asking who wants to join me in raising your hand in surrendering your life to Jesus. Would you do that? Yes. God bless you. Thank you. Who else? Way in the back. Thank you. Thank you right here. Yes. Several of you back in the alcove to my left. Thank you. If I've acknowledged your hand, you can put your hand down. Over here to my right, several of you. Any over here in the middle or to my left? Yes. God bless you. This is for your own soul. You're you're acknowledging to your own soul and to Jesus that this is your moment. Apollos had his moment. The disciples of John had their moment. And this is your moment. Of surrendering to the full message of Jesus. He loves you. That's the message. The best thing you can do is let go and let God. Anyone else? Yes. God bless you. If you raised your hand this morning, would you pray this prayer quietly as I pray it out loud? Lord, today I surrender. I've been a half-baked person believing a half-baked message and today I believe I believe in your love and what you did for me on the cross so come into my life I give to you not only my sin and the brokenness I give to you the shame and the guilt that goes with that. Take it all away. And then, God, I give to you the reins of my life. Invite your Holy Spirit now to fill me. Take me. Guide me. Use me to love others the way you have loved me. from this day forward, I'm a follower of yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.